This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, July 15th, 2021. In this week's Intego Mac Podcast, we'll take a look at the Mac's screenshot capabilities and a peek at shortcuts coming to the Mac in Mac OS 12 Monterey. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We have nice weather here, finally. The rain has stopped. We're going to have sun. It's going to be warm. Fortunately, not as hot as you've had over there in, I don't know what you would even call it, when you had, was it 120 degrees in Death Valley? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not super close to me, but it has occasionally been over 100 recently here, and it's been in the 90s every other day, um, practically every day uh, here. So it's hot. It's very and hot. And of course, with all your problems with fan noise from your laptop, this weather makes your fan go crazy. And so if anyone hears fan noise in the background today, that's Josh's last episode of this podcast with a laptop that has a fan that makes a lot of noise because you should have a new laptop by next week's episodes. Hooray. Yes. Hooray. Finally. Okay. Summer is slow in our line of work, isn't it? There's not a lot happening. There's not a lot of news. Once we get past the Worldwide Developer Conference, where Apple announces the new operating systems, there's not that much going on, is there? It tends to slow down a little bit. Yeah, almost every year, there's kind of this slow period between like, you know, July to maybe September, October. It kind of depends. But um, yeah, usually between WWDC and then the release of the, you know, the new Mac operating system or iPhone, those tend to, to happen around September-ish. It kind of depends, varies from year to year. But during that little intermediary period, um, it seems like there's not even as much going on in the security world. Like hackers kind of take a break. I, I shouldn't really say this because the reality is there's <laughs> other stuff going on that we're just not talking about. Like, for yeah. example, on Windows, there's Print Nightmare, which is like a big deal yeah. right now. Yeah. But, you know, hey, we're Mac users, so we don't really care. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, we do have a follow-up. Last week and I think the previous week, we talked about this bug with iPhones connecting to Wi-Fi networks that have specific characters in them, like percent %P, percent %S. And there was one bug and then another one was discovered. These would brick the phones. In some cases, you couldn't even use the phones afterwards. Apple has released... Uh, fix for this in the beta for iOS and iPadOS 14.7, which should be out pretty soon. I think the release candidate just came out. So we will no longer have to worry about connecting to Wi-Fi networks with funny names. And, you know, spoiler, if you see a funny name, don't connect to a Wi-Fi network anyway. Yeah, if there's a percent symbol in a Wi-Fi network, do not connect to it, at least until iOS 14.7 has been released. It, it is a little bit funny to me that like the beta version gets the patch before everyone else. But I, I think probably the reason why they're doing that is because maybe there are some people who have a legitimate reason for a percent symbol. And maybe they're just like, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that they'll still allow you to connect to networks with a percent symbol. They'll probably just be doing a lot of additional checks to make sure that there's not going to be a problem once you connect to it or things, something like that. 
Well, it starts with the percent symbol. Next thing you know, it's going to be the ampersand, the M dash, <laughs> the hashtag. I think it's just that the funny characters threw up some sort of bug, which is probably an interesting bug from the engineer's point of view. But anyway, th this will be fixed and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Interestingly, um, depending on the, the router that you're using, if you some Wi-Fi routers will actually allow you to put really funny characters into a, uh, a Wi-Fi network name. And so um, it's it's not very common that you can do this, but I think it's possible in some cases if your if your router allows it for you to have emojis and things like that. Sometimes um, I'm pretty sure I've seen that in screenshots before, but I know most routers will not allow you to put those kind of special characters into a Wi-Fi name. Well, emojis are. Correct me if I'm wrong, they're in the Unicode character set, right? So the approved emojis are all added to the official character set. Right. And I would expect any Unicode character to be usable in in anything. Particularly, we're in a Western country, we use a Western alphabet and digits. When you think of other countries that use different characters, China and Japan that use pictographs, you have to allow all of these characters to be used in anywhere and, and limiting... Limiting it to certain characters, I mean, okay, you can say a password has to have a digit and a capital letter, but for, for a name, I don't see how they could limit it to specific characters. Well, I mean, why not limit it, though? I mean, if, if it's going to potentially prevent these sort of issues, I, I, I remember back in the day, do you, do you remember, like, there used to be the 8.3 um, file names, uh, you know, sure. back in DOS and Windows especially, yeah. you would have, uh, and it was basically just letters and numbers was like all you could put into a file name. And the Mac has, has always been a little bit more open in that regard. There's very few characters. It's basically like the colon and not much else that you're disallowed from putting into a file name on the Mac. But, um, you know, basically, I, whenever there's an input field, certainly on, on websites and things like this, you generally want to avoid allowing people to just stick anything into that input field because there are potential problems with, you know, being able to exploit something on the website if they happen to put in the wrong thing that's going to be interpreted by the back end system in a certain way. So, I mean... I, I guess from that perspective, it seems a little bit weird how open Wi-Fi network names potentially are. But, you know, at the same time, like you say, it is important to make sure that you support multiple character sets and those kind of things, too. So speaking of disallowed characters, I use a number of cloud services to store files. I use OneDrive probably more than others because I do have a Microsoft 365 subscription, so I have a terabyte of storage. I use Dropbox for sharing with some people, like for this podcast, we share our files on Dropbox. Um, I don't have a paid Dropbox subscription. I use iCloud Drive. Um, I've been moving more files into OneDrive, and I've noticed that files with slashes in them will not upload to OneDrive, and I've had to change file names because of that. I've never had problems with files in Dropbox or in iCloud Drive, um, my online backup. The only thing is OneDrive. And so presumably that has some residue of old character exclusions on Windows. Well, exactly. I mean, OneDrive is a Microsoft product, so it, it stands to reason that they might be doing that for some sort of compatibility reason. 
Okay, we don't have a lot of news about the Mac, but we do have some news about Ring doorbells. And we both have Ring doorbells, and we've talked about Ring doorbells several times. Amazon is rolling out encryption, end-to-end encryption for Ring doorbells in the UK. And apparently it's been available since the beginning of the year in the US. So we've talked about the difference between encrypted files and end-to-end encryption. So Apple's iMessages is end-to-end encryption, but iCloud is not. Apple can decrypt the files. It's not totally protected. With end-to-end encryption, there's an encryption key on the user end on your device or computer, and that's the key necessary to read the files. So Ring is adding that for videos. Unfortunately, there are a lot of limitations. I checked to see if it was available in my Ring app, and it was, and I was gonna turn it on, but they say, well, some features won't be available. You can't use this with shared users, and my partner has access to all the Ring cameras. You can't take snapshots. So ring cameras and doorbells can take snapshots every five minutes, 14 minutes, or 16 minutes. And I actually use these. There seem to be a lot of limitations of this feature, which make it pretty much something that a lot of people won't turn on. Yeah, well, and and that's exactly the problem is like, you, you know, depending on how you're using your ring hardware and software, maybe in some cases this is not a big deal. So for example, if um, you and somebody that you live with both are logging into the same ring account, then you know this this could still work because it's it's a it's tied to that account. Um, the, that into an encryption only will work with that one account. And so but it, the, the problem comes in where if you are living with somebody who has a separate ring account and maybe you don't want to share your ring password with them or put in put it into their device for them um, then now you've got two different accounts that are accessing the same ring cameras and that's a scenario where at least currently it seems like ring is not allowing people to uh, have into an encryption enabled with multiple users that's that's where the, there's kind of a little bit of a challenge here it also looks like a lot of devices are not compatible. I'll link in the show notes to a white paper on the Ring website. Only the most recent devices are compatible. Video Doorbell 2, which was sold from 2017 to 2020, is not compatible. Video Doorbell 3, which is sold from 2020 to present, is not compatible. 3 Plus, not compatible. 4, from 2021 to present, is not compatible. So hmm. I could actually turn it on in my app, but not, I think I have no compatible devices. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually think it's kind of interesting that they don't allow you to have multiple accounts and still have the into an encryption feature. It, to me, that seems like that's a little bit of a design. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a design flaw, but it's maybe something that they, they didn't consider when they designed into an encryption for these devices, because that is something that is certainly possible. If you're familiar with public key cryptography, which you probably are if you've ever used PGP or you kind of know generally how PGP works, PGP uh, stands for, or used to stand for pretty good privacy. And um, PGP is this um, system where you can create a key. It actually is a key pair. So you have a private key, which can be used to decrypt messages, and a public key that goes along with it that you can share with anybody, and that's used to encrypt messages. So if somebody wants to send uh, you a message with PGP, they encrypt it using your public key. You decrypt it with your private key. Now, one thing that's 
good to know about how public key encryption works is that if you have multiple recipients, you can sign the same message or piece of code or whatever it is with multiple public keys. And so it's certainly possible that Ring could design it this way so that multiple user accounts can all have access to that into an encrypted video. Um, I don't know why they didn't choose to design it that way. Okay, just a quick announcement that Apple has released the MagSafe battery pack for the iPhone 12. We were talking about this before the show, and I was thinking, yeah, they announced this back in September. Why has it taken so long? But they didn't announce it back then. And I found something a couple months ago where someone was presenting a sort of a concept of an Apple battery pack using MagSafe. There have been third-party MagSafe battery packs for a while, it kind of just felt when it was announced yesterday that it's something that Apple was late with for some reason. Yeah, this is sort of a funny thing because, uh, you know, they, they've said, oh, you can do MagSafe now. It, you know, you can um, you can charge your iPhone by sticking it onto one of these uh, little pads, charging pads. Um, so, And they've had that actually for several generations of iPhone. But it's only recently that Apple finally did their own bit of hardware to actually charge an iPhone that way. And it's, it is a little bit surprising because it seems like I, I, I thought that Apple had announced this quite a while back too, that they were going to have um, an, an official brand, you know, Apple branded phone case, but we couldn't come across any articles about that from yeah. the time frame we were thinking that Apple announced it. That's kind of funny. Yeah. It looks actually quite nice. It's $99 or 99 pounds. I guess if you need the extra battery, it's kind of nice, but neither you nor I have an iPhone 12, so we're not going to be trying it out anytime soon. Not not yet. But when you mentioned MagSafe, we were, we were kind of like going through some recent uh, headlines and things and deciding what we're going to include in the show. And you said MagSafe, and I'm like, oh, MagSafe? They brought back MagSafe to the Mac? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, no, it's that stupid so-called MagSafe that they put on the iPhone. It's, it's really uh, disappointing sometimes to me when Apple reuses brand names like this. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and there's been a lot that they've reused. Uh, for example, iBook, you know, iBook used to be an Apple laptop and then it yep. became a book platform that Apple did for a while. Anyway, I, MagSafe, I think, is the most disappointing of all reused Apple brand names because it makes me sad that I don't still have MagSafe on my Mac. But some people listening may not remember what MagSafe was, so you have to explain it. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so MagSafe was this cool adapter, and they had two versions of it that came out over the years, but um, essentially it was a magnetic connected charging cable. You know, you put it near your your Mac, and it, like, popped right into the port with a magnet. And the advantage of this, of course, was that if somebody tripped over your charging cable while you had your MacBook plugged in and charging, then it would just pull out without like yanking your laptop to the floor, which obviously that would be kind of a problem. And this was a brilliant idea. And unfortunately, Apple's just not doing it anymore. They kind of got into, you know, everything is all... USB-C slash, you know, Thunderbolt ports. And uh, that's what we've all got to live with now, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm just looking at Apple's website. You can still buy MagSafe power adapters for old Macs. And these are Macs that go back as far as 2006. So there were the two. There was the T-style MagSafe and the L-style MagSafe connectors. And Apple still sells all of these on their website. So if you want to go 
wax nostalgic, you can buy one of these adapters and you can pretend that it still works. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other interesting Mac stuff, screenshots and shortcuts. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, we're going to talk about a couple of articles that I've updated recently on the Intego Mac security blog, one of them about screenshots, and it's the complete guide, it's truly complete, to taking screenshots and screen recordings on Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Now, I take a lot of screenshots because I write articles and I need to illustrate things that are on the Mac on my iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, but more and more people take screenshots. And I notice on social media, you see people sharing screenshots of things they've seen online, or maybe they'll write a long text in notes and take a screenshot of that because they can't fit everything they want in a tweet. Screenshots are incredibly popular, and they've gotten a lot easier to take both on Mac and iOS. One of the interesting things is a couple of years ago, so if you're a longtime Mac user, you probably know that Command-Shift-3 takes a screenshot of the entire screen, and that was long the basic screenshot method. Command-Shift-4, you could take a region, or if you press the spacebar, you could take a screenshot of the window. Command-Shift-5 was added a few years ago, and that gives you a little control bar on the screen where you can choose the screen, a window, a region, or a recording of the screen or a region. For many years, I used Snaps and Snaps Pro by Ambrosia, a software company that made mostly games, but had this really good screenshot app. And one of the great things is it would pop up a little dialog and let you select what you wanted. And when that stopped working on Mac OS X, I reluctantly picked up the, the keyboard shortcuts, but sometimes I want to have that little control bar. And that Command-Shift-5 is just a brilliant thing. I've just called it up now. If you're listening in front of your Mac, press Command-Shift-5. If you're listening in a car, don't do this. <laughs> you can choose whether it's a screen window or region or a recording, and you have a whole bunch of options. One of the best options is the Save To option. In the past, you used to have to run a terminal command to save your screenshots to someplace other than the desktop. I don't use my desktop for anything. I know a lot of people have cluttered desktops, but I'm just not like that. And I've always had a screenshots folder, in fact, which I sync between two Macs. And it's great with this that you can choose another location for your screenshots and it, it gets remembered. Or even maybe some screenshots you want to save in one folder. And when you're working on a project, you want to save screenshots in another folder. This is actually really cool. By the way, I, I frequently use Command-Shift-3 and Command-Shift-4, especially Command-Shift-4 with the space bar, 
to take a screenshot of a particular window, but I've n- never used Command Shift Five, and I, I I feel like wow, I'm I've missed out on a lot of stuff. This is actually really cool. So one of the great features here is in this same if you click the options menu, you have the save to, you have a timer for none five seconds or ten seconds, and then you have a few options. And the most important option here is remember last selection. So the reason I used Snaps Pro is I would often be taking a screenshot of a window and then something would change and I wanted the screenshot to be the exact same place in the window. And when you do a screenshot with Command Shift 3 or 4 and you're cropping, you can't crop to the exact same spot. And when you're writing books about this stuff, you want your screenshots to be just, you know, all the same, right, as you go on. So now you can do that with a region. Remember last selection and you can show the evolution of something as it happens. One of the things that's really cool about this, too, is that you can use uh, that same functionality to also record video of a certain section of your screen. I really like this because there may be times that, you know, maybe you're recording something to put up on YouTube and you don't really need to capture your entire screen. And this can be, a, a, it looks like, a really fancy way. Again, I, I've I've never used this. I need to start using this. This is really cool. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I updated this article, Josh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, this is good. So another thing that they added in macOS, and I believe it was the same time as this Command Shift 5, is the ability to crop and annotate screenshots. So when you do a screenshot, by default, it comes up to the bottom right of the screen, a little thumbnail. If you click on it, you then have an option to use what Apple's calling their markup tools. You can crop, you can draw, you can rotate, you can add text, you can put shapes and colors, and you can even put a signature on it if you've saved a signature. I find this really useful because sometimes I want a screenshot to send to someone, but I don't need to save the file as is. I don't want to open a graphics editor to do anything complicated. And this way I can do it really quickly and then I can click on the share sheet and send it to someone and then click on the trash can to delete it. This is very similar, by the way, to functionality that uh, the iOS has had for quite a while. Um, when you take a screenshot on iOS, you um, you get this little you know preview down in the corner, and when you tap on that, that pulls up the the editing window, so you can do whatever cropping, annotating, any of those sort of things that you want to do. Um, and so it's nice that the Mac has a, a similar feature as well. Yes, it, the iOS and iPadOS did have this feature first and they brought it to the Mac. And it's really a powerful tool now. Thinking back, you know, when I would buy a special app for screenshots and now this is built into the operating system, it's good to know. Screen recording, you can, you can also do that on the iPhone, iPad or iPod Touch. I don't know how many people really use that. I use it occasionally for an article on the Intego Mac security blog. I'll stick a recording in. But in most cases, you don't really want to record the screen on your iOS device. One thing a lot of people may not know is you can also take screenshots on an Apple Watch, which is really practical. When you take screenshots on an iPad, iPhone, or Apple Watch, they go into the Photos app, and they're easy to find because in the Media Type section, you have two entries, screenshots and screen recordings, if you have any. If you don't have any, they won't show up. And if you do use screenshots a lot, this is really practical. Now, again, many of us who write about these things, we use screenshots all the time, but more and more people use screenshots. My partner, when she's shopping on her iPad, takes screenshots all the time. 
because I guess she finds that better than saving URLs because URLs don't say anything, right? The screenshots do. And every once in a while, she has to clear out all her screenshots because she's only got 50 gigabytes of iCloud storage. And so she'll have to go through her Photos app and delete them. So if you do take a lot of screenshots, think of deleting them too when you don't need them anymore. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. I, I do something similar. I, I take a lot of screenshots on both my iPhone and my Mac for various reasons. And sometimes it's just that uh, exactly like you were saying, I want to document something and it's a lot easier to just take a screenshot of something rather than, you know, take the time to write something down or type something out. And you, you want to save more than just a URL. Maybe you, you want to, to capture the price that something, uh, you know, is currently, if you're talking about shopping, um, or maybe, you know, an estimated, uh, shipping date or availability, you can actually use this for just about anything. Uh, if you want, you could take screenshots of your confirmation page when you book a flight or things like that. I often do that when I purchase things because you never know when you're going to get the email for confirmation. And sometimes it might not show up, so you do have a trace that way. Right, exactly. And I find it very helpful for things like that. Okay, let's talk about shortcuts. Now, automation has a long history on the Mac. And if I remember correctly, it was Mac OS 7.5 that had the scriptable finder. And you could use AppleScript to tell the finder to do things. And I was just delighted with this. I had already been playing with HyperCard back in the day. If you remember HyperCard, raise your hand in the audience. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and the ability to, you know, tell the finder to do things was just wonderful. Now, I never really did a lot with it, but it was very practical. And over the years, Apple has enhanced AppleScript. They released Automator, which is an interesting tool, but somewhat limited. And now they're bringing shortcuts to the Mac. Shortcuts have been on iOS for a while. It's hard. To, you know, this stuff is not simple. I'm looking at our producer, Doug Adams, who is a AppleScript guru and who's been making AppleScript for, what, 25 years or something like that. And the, the complexity of AppleScript sometimes is, is, you know, well above what Apple says. It's like a natural language syntax. I, I kind of feel that shortcuts is very similar. When Automator came out, it was a really click and drag and connect and all, and it looked really simple, but it was really limited. Shortcuts is somewhat similar, but the advantage with shortcuts right now, at least on the Mac, and, and I'm talking about the beta version of macOS Monterey, is there's a huge shortcut library with tons of examples of things you can do, rather than with Automator, I don't think there was anything like that. Well, there, so Automator did have a, a lot of um, really useful functionality, and you could, of course, embed other scripts and things like that. So if you had already had an existing Apple script that you developed to do some complex task, you could just put that Apple script right into an Automator workflow. Yeah, but if you don't know how to make Apple scripts, then Automator was really limited to dragging and dropping and setting a few parameters and, you know... And even knowing what Automator could do, there were no, there were no examples to show you what you could do with it. Yeah, I, th I think really the idea behind Automator was to sort of take the concepts behind scripting and make them available to the everyday user. So it, because of that simple drag and drop interface, um, they they made it m more easy to do a lot of um, somewhat more complex tasks that you, previously you kind of had to either know a little bit of AppleScript or um, 
you know, get lucky and try to use the Apple script recording function and hope that it, it uh, understood what you were trying to record and was able to do those kind of things. Which Apple didn't script. work very well. Yeah, that yeah. didn't that never really worked very well. And so Automator was a, a way for Apple to sort of bring automation a little bit more to the masses and make it something that the everyday user could theoretically use. Now, one thing that younger Mac users may not realize is how important automation was, that AppleScript was an extremely powerful tool in desktop publishing. Quark Express, which was one of the early desktop publishing apps, used AppleScripts extensively, and people in desktop publishing and prepress used these tools and still use them. I'm going to link in the show notes to an article on Tidbits, 73 Mac automation stories from Tidbits readers. And you can see stories from people who are still using Apple scripts for things like publishing newspapers, and that this is a very common tool to link apps and to link data from apps with other apps. You know, interestingly, it's funny that we're talking about Apple script because um, I, I actually wrote a utility in Apple script that I haven't updated for many years. But just this past week, I've gotten two emails from people who are saying, hey, can you update your invisibility toggler app? There's not really any use for that anymore, because now in the Finder, there's a, a keyboard shortcut you can use to toggle the visibility of invisible files. It's just Command Shift, period. Yeah, so by default, the Mac hides invisible files, which are either certain files that the system treats as invisible or files that have a period or a dot in front of their names. But if you press Command Shift, period, you'll see them, which freaks out a lot of people when they do that accident. <laughs> right, right, that's true. So before anyone else emails me to ask me to update Invisibility Toggler, just so you know, you just go to the Finder and hit Command Shift, period. Now you don't need my app anymore. So shortcuts is going to be interesting for automation, but there's also a risk, and we talked about this recently. There have been some issues with shortcuts that have been able to exploit vulnerabilities on the Mac. We've seen Word and Excel macroviruses for decades now. And while I think shortcuts are going to be really useful on the Mac, when you look at the complexity of the code and the syntax and some of them, average people are not going to look at these and be able to figure out if there's any risk. And this is why, why when you wrote this article, I, I asked you to make sure that you wrote a section including something about this, because I remember when it wasn't that long ago that shortcuts came out for iOS and we actually talked um, on the podcast and we had a, an article on the blog explaining that there were some people who were figuring out some ways that you could, I think if I remember right, I think it was like bypass like the, the sandbox or something like that. You could do some things that you weren't supposed to be able to do with shortcuts on iOS and Apple fixed it pretty quickly. And and granted, iOS and macOS are very different beasts. And so, you know, I'm not exactly sure whether we're going to see anybody using shortcuts for nefarious purposes, but I could certainly foresee that that's a possibility that somebody could make malicious shortcuts that pretend to be doing something useful, or maybe they do something useful, but they also do something malicious. So that is something to be aware of once shortcuts are available to all Mac users, once everybody's upgraded to Monterey. Um, just be careful about downloading any old shortcut from anywhere online. Right. Just as you can download Apple scripts and automated workflows from anyone, shortcuts will be available for download from anyone. In fact, they already are for iOS, and they'll be available for Mac. Everything that's going to be in the library in the Shortcuts app, you can pretty much trust that because these are shortcuts that Apple's written. But you do have to be careful. I, I'm... 
I kind of think we're going to see that when Monterey comes out, we're going to have some issues with shortcuts and malware. If we do, we'll keep you all posted. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll have an article on the Mac security blog, and uh, we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast as well. Hopefully it won't happen, but I'm just saying, you know. I would be surprised if it didn't happen. I'm sure there are people already trying to figure out ways to get through these. Yeah. Okay, until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.